0: Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. Later in the show today, Burse from Final Straw Radio gets an update from Athens-based Anika Squatter Alex on wind turbines and greenwashing, wildfire impacts and privatisation of public spaces in rural Greece. And this excellent story was sourced with thanks from the Final Straw Radio at thefinalstrawradio.noblogs.org. But first up, we'll hear from guest producer Jacob Gamble in conversation with Ravinder Sai and Patrick Holmes, who are part of a group of high school students from Boroondora local government area in Melbourne, who developed a bill on effective e-waste management as part of the YMCA Youth Parliament Program earlier this year. And also Rachel Ridley from Planet Arc and Professor Usha Renega from RMIT University on the topic of e-waste.
1: President, I move to introduce a bill titled Effective E-Waste Management Bill 2022.
2: This is the YMCA Victoria Youth Parliament.
3: The question is that the bill now be read for the first time, or that all those of that opinion say aye. 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 To the contrary no.
2: A program that brings together over 120 young people from across regional and metropolitan Victoria to develop and debate mock bills in areas they are passionate about.
3: I think the
2: eyes have it. Sponsor. Ravinda Sai and his team are about to present their bill to the Legislative Council.
1: President, the Honourable Member Ravinda Sai, I move that the bill will now be read the same.
2: The effective e-waste management bill aims to centralise Victoria's e-waste system under the state government while providing financial incentives to public and private institutions for recycling their electrical products. At eight pages, it's the longest and most comprehensive bill of the program.
1: In our effective e-waste management bill, we not only propose to put an end to the clearly ill functioning council-based system consisting of some council's we even go as far as to not even provide e waste recycling services?
2: So, what is e waste and why is it an issue being brought to Victoria's Parliament House? I'm Jacob Gamble, broadcasting from Wurundjeri land in Nar, Melbourne.
1: My name is Ravindra Sai, uh, I'm 16 years old and I'm part of the uh, Burundara Youth Services team.
4: So I'm Patrick Holmes. I'm 17 years old. I'm also part of the Burundura Youth Services team.
2: Sai and Patrick Holmes are both high school students from Melbourne's Inner East. Alan Wang and Angelo von Merler are also members of
1: the team. When I was in Year 5, actually, uh, I was forced, basically, by an English teacher to do a persuasive piece as part of our work, and I... Uh, You know, being the year five that I was and being probably a bit self-righteous, I wanted to choose something, you know, very out there. And um, so I I explored a lot. And then I was like, oh, let's have a look at e-waste. And it's something that a lot of people don't think about. So I, I did a lot of research into it. And then I know later on I was really disheartened when I visited my local council's tip and I just found all of these computers, which were you know, still perfectly functioning. I think they were IMAX from just a few years ago thrown in the bin, quite literally. And obviously they were going to be repurposed as gold and other rare earth materials, but they were still thrown in a bin and they would have been better off being given to a charity. And I could see that. So ever since then, I've been quite passionate uh, about trying to kind of lessen the burden of e-waste and trying to kind of Create this circular economy.
4: But I've had a bit of a latent interest in uh, e-waste, but sustainability more generally as well. As Ravin sort of mentioned earlier, I'm a part of. The, we have a sort of a sustainability initiative at our school, which I'm a part of, and I've uh, you know the same watch the same exposes and news stories that sort of generated a, that sort of latent uh, understanding of the problems regarding e-waste. But as I said before, it's it's really Revin's brainchild of a bill.
1: We must realise the fact that e-waste is not just any waste. E-waste consists of rare earth materials that are worth saving, not simply a problem worth
2: getting rid of. Does one of you want to give me a rundown on what the bill tries to cover?
1: Currently, how e-waste management operates is we basically um, do it on a council-by-council basis, and they individually adopt an e-waste management strategy, uh, usually done through their tips. In many cases, it's actually considered as hard rubbish, um, and they basically send it off to a third-party company that pays the council a very small amount of money and then keeps the e-waste for themselves. And the reason why that is so lucrative for those companies is it's actually cheaper to get gold from old computers than it is from mines. So basically, this bill operates in a very different way, and it essentially takes that e-waste and then says, hang on, we can actually use this once more. It's not necessarily waste. It's still a decent computer. It's probably still functioning. It just needs to be turned over every three years uh, by company or school, which is usually how policies operate. And it repurposes it through programs outlined in Clause 9, I believe it is, with the Victorian Strategic E-Waste Refurbishment Program. That program takes that E-Waste... Acts as kind of a gateway, facilitated by the Department of Energy, Water, Land and Planning. It's quite the name, and gives it to companies which facilitate the refurbishment of that waste, and then passes it on to non-profit organisations, and those non-profits can utilise those computers until they're deemed unfit for use, and then they can obviously recycle it through correct channels on a state-based system, which we also establish in the bill. Because
4: each council sets its own rules for e-waste, there's a lot of, inconsistency. So it leaves consumers in the lurch about what exactly they have to do to recycle their e-waste. And an important part of encouraging people to recycle is having very clear rules. And not having clear rules, uh, you know, people sort of give up, like, what's the point, you know, I don't even know. If they had to put on all this effort just to be able to get to, to that first stage... Because that. So inconsistency is a major one. And it's also inconsistency not encouraging people, and it's inconsistency in the provision of services, because some certain councils are more well-resourced than other councils. Some councils are not able to provide the same e-waste services as other councils. So by centralising it under the state, we can ensure provision of a statewide consistent service. So we'll both encourage people to recycle by having clear rules and ensure that e-waste services are provided to every council, irrespective of rate income. The current situation with councils, as my honourable friend alluded to, in their own individual rules, is the exact opposite of consistency. Some councils don't accept e-waste, and some have ridiculous and extremely complex conditions.
3: Once electrical or electronic products are thrown away, they are referred to as e-waste, which is really a terrible name because they aren't waste. They are made with valuable materials that can be used again.
2: Rachel Ridley is the manager of Planet Ark's Recycling Near You and Business Recycling Initiatives.
3: And a lot of people just think of e-waste as phones or TVs, but really it's uh, any type of electrical product that has a battery power cord or a plug.
2: In conjunction with council-led e-waste initiatives, there are lots of product stewardship schemes such as mobile muster and cartridges for Planet Arc that recycle individual electrical products.
3: So Australia has a number of recycling schemes in place to prevent the materials and electrical products from going to waste in landfills, but we don't have one overarching recycling scheme for all electrical products. Instead, we have product stewardship schemes for various products, which basically means the manufacturer or the importer pays for the recycling of their products once they have reached their end of life. We have product stewardship schemes for TVs and computers, pin- printer cartridges, mobile phones, and recently batteries. Product stewardship schemes are very effective at keeping the valuable materials in electrical products in use. And that's because they are easily accessible to the majority of Australians. And the schemes have excellent recovery rates, which means most of the materials in the products that are collected, like plastic and metal, are recycled.
2: Rachel says that while these schemes are really effective, a key challenge is getting businesses on board, not only with recycling the product at the end of its life, but also designing it sustainably from the beginning.
3: One of the challenges is getting companies, manufacturers and retailers on board with transitioning to a circular economy. And that's because the cost of managing the end of life of a product is borne by the individual and governments and especially councils. So the key to addressing that is firstly by providing them with this knowledge. This is also where government policy-like incentives can really drive development of more product stewardship. The Product Stewardship Centre of Excellence was set up to help educate and support industry to take up product stewardship. But it's also about providing a solid business case for why transitioning to a circular economy is good for their brand And we're seeing an upward trend in Australians becoming more invested in ethical brands and demanding more from brands in terms of improving their environmental impact.
2: E-waste certainly provides a compelling case study for how an economically viable circular economy would function in Australia.
3: Creating a circular economy isn't just about improving recycling rates. In terms of e-waste, it's about designing out waste during the design phase creating products with recycled materials that are built to last, empowering consumers with the right to repair their products without fear of breaking their warranty. And of course, it's also about making sure the products, once they've reached their end of life, can be easily recycled by designing them to maximise material recovery and also ensuring individuals have easy access to free recycling services.
5: I think we need to look at this problem from two ends.
2: Professor Usha iyer Reniga is a leading researcher at RMIT's Circular Economy Hub and a professor at the RMIT School of Property, Construction and Property Management.
5: So one is the um, consumptioning. So our uh, um, taste for fast fashion, our taste for always having something new and the best and the latest in the product and then at the production end, which good examples are mobile phones. Every time you buy a new mobile phone, you also have to buy the paraphernalia for the mobile phone. So you need to buy the charger, which often is of a different, you know, type compared to the one that you had previously.
2: She said that while legislation had a role to play in leveling the playing field, innovation would come from consumers demanding more sustainable practice from businesses.
5: Uh, innovation, uh, you know, the, the, the role of startups, the role of technology, all that will not come with legislation. All that will come with consumers demanding more and more extended uh, producer responsibilities. It will come with, with consumers and particularly, I think, young people that are really conscious about the impact all this is having on the environment and the recognition, of course, that um, there is no planet B. You've got to live with what we've got and also recognize that we have to be extremely resource efficient moving forward. So I often think about it's not just phones. You know, we often talk about phones in the context, but it's not just phones. It's also uh, associated with this new trend now of moving to electric cars and and use of electric, you know, batteries in electric vehicles, which use. Resources, you know, lithium, cobalt, rare earths as well. And so, how do we ensure that these rare earths, once extracted as virgin materials, used in products, can actually be reused again and again and again?
2: Another solution in achieving a circular economy is shifting away from models of ownership towards models of borrowing.
5: Uh, And also, the role of uh, moving away from ownership models to the service type of models, which is not talked about very much in the Australian context. So Uber, of course, is a great example of getting a quality, uh, you know, the the mobility that you're looking for without having to own a car. I think the same thing can apply to other things. Uh, Do we need to own a mobile phone? Can we not rent a mobile phone for a period of time? Can we do that to other things? Can we do that to clothing? We certainly do that with housing and we rent places. So I think it really, and again, I think young people are much, much more amenable to these sorts of ideas than a lot of the older population have, who have been raised with this idea of needing to own something.
3: So the house will divide on the question that the Effective E-Waste Management Bill 2022 be read a second and third time. I ask the class to record the votes.
2: As for our youth parliamentarians, the Effective E-Waste Management Bill was presented to Ross Spence, the Victorian Minister for Youth, who consults the bills when developing policies for young people.
3: Members, uh, the result of the division is the eyes are 32 and the noes are 2. Therefore, it is resolved in the affirmative and the bill is passed. Thank you, members.
0: You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio.
6: Hi, my name is uh, Alex. I use uh, their pronouns. I live in uh, Athens, Greece. I'm a squatter and I'm involved in uh, anarchist and social uh, movements in the neighborhood. So first
7: up, Greece, like many other places in Southern Europe, has faced terrible fires this year, a growing pattern alongside a terrible heat wave. Um, I hope that you've been doing okay with this. And I would like, if you could, to talk about climate change and your views on the role of capitalism in this. Have you seen mutual aid projects work to navigate the high temperatures and dangerous air quality where you're at?
6: Mm Mm-hmm. In the center of Athens, we don't experience uh, fires right now. It's uh, mostly in some uh, mountains around Athens and in different uh, parts of Greece, in uh, islands. But uh, this year, the fires, even if they're very, very big, the media are trying a bit to not show them so much because they want to hide all these uh, very big uh, catastrophe. Last year, it was uh, very important with uh, the fires in Evia Island, which uh, burned a very, very huge amount of uh, forests, like almost uh, one third of the island, and it's the second biggest island in uh, Greece. So it's big, and uh, the fires here has to do a lot with the uh, capitalistic. Projects and money that they they want to uh, use the burned land for different uh, kinds of businesses. Uh, they really don't care about uh, any uh, laws or any natural uh, environment uh, issues. And there are a lot of uh, ec- ecological struggles in Greece uh, against uh, wind turbines uh, or against uh, mining. Uh, in different parts of uh, Greece. And of course, uh, it's a big plan. Uh, I think they're experimenting with different capitalistic ways uh, of how they will uh, control and how they will use all of this burned land because we speak about a lot of burned land. In Evia Island, it's uh, unclear how exactly they want to use all of this land. But for sure, uh, what we know because also the local people is that when the fire uh, starts, the state don't want to turn it uh, off, turn it out, um, uh, and this is a, a big uh, scandal. Like uh, the state is li- is uh, leaving uh, these uh, fires burn everything, and destroy people's um, land. It's really crazy how it's uh, happening. Cool. Yes. Uh, I don't know what more specific uh, maybe you would like to hear about uh, all the situation. There is a lot of mutual aid for um, needs of the people uh, or for rescuing animals or for uh, taking out the fires more self-organized. And uh, we can see that uh, the people in Evia or in other places and in villages and communities, they turn out uh, the fire uh, themselves. Uh, the states uh, don't care. Firefighters have very precise. They tell them not to to take out the the fire. Yes, I don't know if you want something more specific.
7: Yeah, is the land all private parcels of property, or is it state property that once it is or held and held by the state, and then once it's destroyed, the state says, "Well, we can't use this for anything. Let's sell it." So, kind of a primitive accumulation option or like how how does that sort of disaster capitalism of by this like this fire sale thing uh actually work out for for the states and can you people may be surprised to hear critiques of wind turbines could you share mm. some of the concerns around those that people have
6: yes The land, uh, it can be private property of uh, people that live by agricultural uh, work. In in Greece, still in the smaller towns or in the villages, uh, people live by growing stuff uh, or by the forest. They live by the forest with different ways that they uh, use uh, forest material to live out of it in a kind of old fashioned way, let's say. So with destroying uh, big forests, uh, the state destroys natural environment, animals, and also the way that uh, people can uh, survive and uh, live out of it. So the people are pushed either to go to the cities because they cannot live anymore in a village, in a more natural environment or in a more communal environment. Yes, or they are pushed to work in the next uh, businesses that uh, are going to these areas to take profit out of it. It's not very clear what exactly they, they want to do. For example, they want to make maybe some more touristic areas out of uh, burned uh, land, uh, some alternative tourism, some uh, wind turbines or some uh, industries. It's a lot of options what they want to do out of this uh, land, but it's, it's very new, it's very... Uh, fresh these uh, catastrophes to know exactly but a lot of big businesses uh, and construction uh, businesses are uh, involved in all this situation also they want to make they call it the new forest they want to make new kinds of forests like less wild more controlled more uh, open for uh, tourists that uh, (laughs) cannot go to a real forest So it's a lot of uh, experiment, I would say, uh, between the Greek state and very big uh, private uh, companies. Uh, So we we will see how it will uh, turn out. About uh, wind turbines, I know that I have heard from other comrades around the world that uh, this is not really a thing in other countries to struggle against them. But here it's really really strong uh, struggles uh, against the wind uh, turbines. You can see small islands that they get full of them and it's really, really bad for the local inhabitants. You can see like places in Greece that it's maybe a small village and on top of the mountain just next to it, you see a lot, a lot, a lot of wind turbines that, uh, of course, the energy that maybe they are producing is not uh, even going back to the local residents. So there's really not any pros uh, on them. Also, these struggles against wind turbines are usually by by local people uh, that they don't want to uh, see the nature around their uh, villages uh, get full destroyed. They don't want the animals to get uh, kicked out. They don't want the birds to be hurted by the wind turbines. They don't want these very, very big companies to get profit and get full money out of their back and, and destroy the natural place. And uh, and I think the more ecological movement uh, in Greece, I think the the opinion is that wind turbines uh, are not... It, it's uh, like greenwashing, let's say, it's not a real uh, innovation. Uh, it's not something that is uh, helping our class. It's not something that uh, is. Uh, it's it's doing more damage than good, and it's used for uh, for profit and for um, saying, ah, look, we do something good, uh, but we destroy the lives of the locals, and also the wind turbines. The, the places that they decide to put them is um, like uh, places where people live and uh, also like uh, really natural uh, forests. For example, there was, there was a lot of uh, natura uh, places in Greece that with a new uh, law of the government, they're not being protected anymore from the state. So uh, amazing natural treasures Uh, are not protected anymore, and they will be used for uh, profit. For example, you can see the local struggles in uh, Tinos Island or Andros Island. It's uh, really amazing how the the people there uh, resist and self-organize and how big uh, uh, repression they also get. Yes, I don't know. I think it's it's very interesting, and I think there are also uh, links in English uh, for people to to read more, uh, also more, uh, uh, you know, good analysis uh, on these uh, topics from from the people that uh, fight uh, against it.
7: Awesome. Thank you very much for taking the time to have this Thank conversation. You very much. Yeah, of course.
0: You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today on the show, we heard from guest producer Jacob Gamble in conversation with high school students who developed a bill on effective e-waste management as part of the YMCA Youth Parliament Program this year, and Rachel Ridley from Planet Arc and Professor Usha Reniga from RMIT University, also on the topic of e-waste. And we heard from Burse at Final Straw Radio with an update from Athens-based Anikas squatter Alex on wind turbines, greenwashing, wildfire impacts and privatisation of public spaces in rural Greece. And that story was sourced with thanks from the Final Straw Radio. If you would like to support this fantastic Anikas media platform and the excellent work that they do, you can go to thefinalstrawradio.noblogs.org forward slash donate. And you can find today's podcast and all the details and links from today's show at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, And we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. Well, that's all for today, but don't forget to tune in next week for more environmental justice stories.
3: When you compare an old-growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging, they're actually quite different ecosystems.
2: There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But don't forget our mighty AM band, Catch us anytime on 855am. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au.
3: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.